Hello and welcome to the Wholehearted Healer Podcast. My name is Dr. Avine Banish and I will be your host. This is the weekly podcast that helps women pause in their busy lives, drop into the heart, and remember their next right step. I am so happy that you're here. Hi there, Dr. Avine Banish here. Welcome to the podcast this week. You're in for a treat. I have a conversation with Dr. Michelle Veneziano. Dr. Veneziano is a doctor of osteopathic medicine, a family physician, an intuitive, and an adjunct clinical professor at Toro University in Northern California. And she shares practices and insights for awakening the doctor that resides within each of us. In our conversation, we talk about flow as medicine, about what it really means to ask for what we need, especially as busy women, and how to live in alignment with nature. And so I think that you will really enjoy our conversation and getting to hear Dr. Veneziano's really brilliant ideas. So here we go. Hello, friends, and welcome to another episode of the Wholehearted Healer podcast. I'm really grateful and excited this week to have on as my guest, Dr. Michelle Veneziano. Um, Michelle is really interesting to me. She is a physician um, in Northern California. She uh, really is a wisdom keeper, it seems, of the art form of cranial osteopathy. She's a clinical professor at Toro University in Northern California. And what I find really exciting is I'm always looking for people who seem to be stepping into a new story. And I'm, I'm doubly excited when I see um, a female physician and healer who is walking and bridging the gap between um, potentially, you know, what we consider traditional medicine and uh, wisdom medicine, I guess is how I would call it. So Michelle, welcome. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Great. It's great to hear your voice. And I just wonder, you know, something that I think, um, jumped out at me when I was, uh, kind of meeting you virtually was the tagline that you have on your website of flow as medicine. And that really kind of got my heart open and my attention up. And so can you maybe tell us a little bit about your journey um, and what flow as medicine means to you? Yes, I'd be happy to. Uh, actually, something you said prompted in me the way that I think it would be meaningful to share this answer with you and the audience right now, which is that we choose this word traditional medicine, but and... <laughs> When you actually look at the legacy of healing through all the different lineages, traditional medicine is something that, um, you know, we don't do now. We we have traditions, thousands of years of traditions that have been, um, you know, shown to be really um, the pa pathways to what actual healing is in modern life and modern philosophy and value systems. We, we, we do something that I call conventional because it's the convention of the time. 
but it doesn't have much to do with what we actually know healing is. And and whether or not you know the details of that, I think we can all kind of look around and sense what's happening for the world and for people and know that health isn't really the main theme of our experience right now. So somewhere there's a disconnect. So for me in my journey, which I do love to span the world, I didn't I could have done naturopathic school or some other kind of, and I was like, no, you know, I want to go right in. I want to have one foot in both worlds. And I would call myself a person who's interested in integration, like bridging the gap, finding the place of commonality where we all find that place inside of ourselves where we realize we want the same thing, right? Because in the sense of health in the bigger sense and in osteopathy, we we use capital H we understand the interconnection of all beings. And so everyone wins or no one wins. You don't just get to call someone bad and walk away, right? Because the the residual or the residue of the maybe denser consciousness that is the convention of this time impacts everyone. It doesn't matter, you know, if you sit on a mountaintop and meditate 24 hours a day, it's all one thing. Um, and then it's, a formidable challenge. You know, it's a big, big thing, which I find really inspiring and kind of the challenge of it. It's like, oh, we're going to take on this impossible thing of turning this ship around. So flow as medicine is for me about turning the ship around for people who for years and years, you know, being trained conventionally, and I also used to run an emergency room by myself for like a whole year while I was practicing some of my holistic healing on the sort of on the side. You know, it's always part of everything. Um, I um, I noticed that a lot of what I would feel in my hands are things that I thought, well, if this person were really breathing or really connected to their bodies and noticing if they were moving in a conscious way on their commute or while they made dinner or that they were genu- genuinely connected to the earth or, you know, somehow in sync with nature in this larger sense, then I wouldn't be treating this thing that I feel under my hands. Like it really, uh, um, 80, 90% of what I, what I touch in people is like, oh, they just didn't remember to breathe through this open. <laughs> and then I thought, you know, this is, um, it's not that fun for me to, to keep doing this resuscitation project. And as physicians, we're taught to f- fix things for people. And that's not necessarily the highest service if that fixing prevents them from really being motivated and inspired and even, um, you know, it's like an invitation to step into this place where you have this deeper relationship with your body. It's so out of this realm of obligation. Oh, self-care, do all these correct things. It's actually, it's actually pretty delicious when you get in there into the flow of life and into this constant um, interplay with the forces of nature. That's kind of where magic lies. And that's where we, um, you know, once you know, participating in the symphony of that, we ha- we have a lot of really magical uh, experiences and, and just a sense of something deeper happening in life. We don't forget the meaning of being here and the, and the miracle of being here. Love that. And you speak from, you know, I can feel in your 
energy and in your responses, you're speaking from a place of knowing and experience. Um, and before I dive into that, I would just, you know, someone who's listening who says that really sounds great, but I'm in the resuscitation phase or I'm, um, I'm so living in my head that being in my, you know, really just even dropping into my body is something that, um, I'm ready to learn. How would you, how does someone begin to move towards flow? Um, uh, oh, let me simplify this to uh, uh, my patient might say they might get off the table and say, what should I do now to keep my my treatment going or not need to come back as quickly? And of course, I have guidelines. But the biggest one is what does your body really want? Because you could say I should, you know, go for a hike every day or I should um, take a hot bath or but your body kind of knows, and it actually d really does know. Uh, and then in the beginning, sometimes it takes a little waking up before you can hear that voice. But I always ask people to check in with what they desire versus what they think is the right thing. Because they'll be surprised how often, oh, I, I really did the right thing. I ate the right combination of protein and fat. And why do I feel terrible? I really wanted this other thing, or I really actually just wanted to go for a walk. Uh, and then the other part is that because we've been in our heads for so long, we, we, the, the voices from the body are very, very quiet. And we have to just practice the baby steps and actually build new neurons with each moment of attention that we put back in there. Um, and also the intentional opening of our listening and receiving and, um, you know, there are a lot of pieces to that, too. There's some real resistance, I think, on a subconscious level um, in the protective ego, because if we haven't been feeling for a long time, there can be it can be scary to go in. Right. So on the simplest in the simplest way, I I suggest to people that they let their bodies draw them towards some com kind of communal environment where they can have the support of others. It could be tango dancing, but somewhere where you can actually step into a field that can hold the scale of whatever the process is that wants to happen, because we're not meant to heal in, in a vacuum. We're simply not. We actually have different wiring and, and neuroscience reveals that we borrow we bar we actually use each other to stabilize electromagnetically and then we see that in <clears throat> uh you know the areas of study around co-regulation and um social engagement that there are so many studies now showing that that's really we're really wired to learn and grow and heal in a communal way i really think that's so beautiful and it's um right? Ancient culture, maybe even not ancient, maybe your grandparents or your great grandparents knew how to do this, right? There was time to, um, I always think about it, and my folks and my grandparents are from Ireland, and people would visit, people would drop into your house, unannounced, you'd always have, you know, my grandmother would always have something in case guests came like an apple tart or, um, and that is so foreign for most people now. If someone were to knock on your door, you'd kind of hide and say, who's there? <laughs> if they, if we didn't text and kind of set it up first. And so something as simple as returning to gathering um, intentionally as a way to heal and 
amplify love or healing or positive intention in the field is really a beautiful way to look at it. It's huge. I remember this amazing film. I think it was called Happy. It came out five or eight years ago or something. And it basically showed this is the difference between a long, healthy life and not. And it was this communalizing, socializing, enjoying each other's company, laughing, helping each other, you know, being in service to one another. It really actually changes our biochemistry to be in service in this devotional way that's not about receiving something back, but it sort of starts the cycle of generosity. That would be our ethos if we, well, if we knew what was sustainable, we'd be putting our attention on cultivating that kind of way of life. And, and somehow we're just not doing that. It's, it's very um, perplexing as to why we think it works. And, and uh, I guess it just reminded me of it's like an addiction. Addiction is continued use of something despite knowledge of adverse consequences. <laughs> Somehow we're just convinced some part of ourselves is kind of gripped to what we're the way that we're doing it. And then we just honor the fact that shifts take time and and timing is a piece of 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 all of it. You know, we don't actually wake up and see what we need to see until we've maybe learned some less level of experience um, that there's something to actually that cultivates us or grows us when we suffer and we fall from grace and then we have to really reevaluate and kind of crack at some deep level and so I don't I don't really think about anything being bad. I'm like, oh, that's curious how we're going about it this way, right? I think it opens up learning when we stop doing the blame game toward ourselves or anyone else, right? Because we don't actually learn when we're in shame or blame. The nervous system's not really repatternable. Lots of science on that too. So as tempting as it may be, it's, it's not what works. Well, and that's coming back to this idea of desire. You know, I was just teaching a course and we were talking about Sankalpa, which in yoga is sort of heart vow. And um, there's a book um, called The Four Desires and it's tuning into your soul and that at any one time your soul may be desiring something. And I think even that word desire may be a little bit charged for people in our culture because it seems selfish or trivial or like duty has to come before desire, but in very simple ways, tuning into that voice and connecting with a simple desire, like you said, to maybe, maybe today it's time to get outside, put my work down for a while, get outside and go for a walk. <laughs> and that that's not wasting time. That might be exactly what my body needs to come back into resonance, right? Right. So that's ha has a flow um, kind of, I can answer that from a, from a flow context, uh, respond to that. Such a, such a rich multifaceted topic you just opened up there. Firstly, yes, our culture does not really honor, uh, self-sacrifice and deprecation seems to be very valiant. And it is in the masculine world. That's a bit of a masculine trait. It can actually quite serve life. But for the feminine being, which men also contain, right, there's a there we actually can't be generative or sustainable or in service of life if we're not abundant. So in a sense, like I'm very clear now, I 
I, before I really could get my head around it, I re, when I realized the principle, I said, I'm going to start being selfish now because that's how I'm going to be of best help to other people. So that was my fake it till you make it thing, because it's very confronting for me as well. Um, and then also know that initially, because the desire hasn't been lubricated, which is really about just listening to guidance, right? So in the absence of being connected to the body and listening to guidance, you'll have these, what we may call like toxic mimics of desire, that the thirsty, um, you know, dehydrated self would say, uh, grab at, you know, candy in the world, like a new car or a this or that kind of superficial thing. And initially, I I started to put my lens in, what's the difference? Oh, I'm really empty, and so I'm grasping and not make myself wrong for that, but notice it, right? And then sometimes, and I'd let my whole family know, I, my practice right now is to ask for lots of things, even if they're trivial, and practice receiving them. So I might ask you to make me a tea, or I might ask you to do something I could totally do for myself. Mm-hmm. And actually, I really do need to do these other things. And I actually am pretty sure you'd really like to support this me person who you love and who's running this whole household of yours. And I'm just going to try it on. It's funny because as I'm sharing this, there's still charge around it. There's it's so many generations of women just, you know, working themselves to the bone. And I come from a lineage of women just like that who held it all together. So it's really deep, you know. Right, as do so many women listening. Yes, yeah. But I actually looked at some biochemistry recently where particularly for men, you know, if they can be genuinely in service, uh, uh, particularly of a, of a woman, their testosterone goes up. And it's actually, you know, healing and, and shifts their heart uh, cardiac risk profile. Wow. <laughs> right? So it's Right. What's that? We need to shout that from the rooftops. That has to be front page news. Well, think about it. Our selfishness may not be empowering our men. Mm -hmm. Right. And then we don't know how to receive or ask. And so we're in the red and then they don't get to be in service. And as one of the things I, I say to myself and others, if you're not in flow, if you're not in resonance, you're just not going to be your best self. Then you can have a litany of all the things who did wrong, but it's like you you just aren't set up to win. So flow means in a sense also the balance of polarity because when you're looking at the electrical flow, it's very literal. You need to polarity and then you have this uh, ability for these laminar waves. I was explaining laminar in terms of, it's it's a thing, in terms of fluid dynamics, we either have turbulence, like the water on the edge of the ocean, or we have this, you know, coordinated, smooth, really powerful and efficient swells in the ocean that uh, the organization of which supports the entire ecosystem at the most microscopic level, right? It's all so interconnected. So when you set up your life and your relationships and your home and your your choices from guidance and you start to things start to drop into place in right alignment, then people's best selves show up, right? And because what we're talking about is an actual 180 degree shift from our conditioning and our training, you got to be patient with ourselves and other people 
It's a lot of repetition because it's it's like it's it's turning. It's not just a little. Oh, let's just turn. You know, tick the marker up a little bit. It's a full on. It's like taking a cruise ship out of the middle of the ocean, <laughs> turning it um, 180 degrees. So apparently, I'm wired for. I like challenges, right? At this point in my office, I'm working much less because I'm really focusing on teaching people. It's like the how to get free fun program. <laughs> and um, and um, I'm all, I'm, I have like a five box checklist of who will I take. You have to be really, really complicated and no one can figure it out. That's the most fun for me. But also you have to be open to understanding that whatever's going on in your body is communication from your body asking for something right and if you're interested in having the conversation and diving in and rolling up your sleeves I don't care how bad off you are right the project with the enthusiasm and willingness is is so inspiring and fun for me to participate in so that it's not like oh my elbow hurts make the pain go away and then I can go back to my (laughs) unconscious checked out way of not honoring myself in life which you know everyone can make their own choices I just don't think it's very fun that way personally (laughs) yeah so that it's it's actually remarkably um delicious and freeing to think that the way to flow is asking for what you need you know tuning into desire um likely slowing down for many women um and also with a generous sprinkling of compassion, right? Because those neural pathways of, I'm going to get it all done. I'm going to multitask, take care of everyone in my life and whoever else might need it. Um, they're pretty well-worn paths. And so to, to create new pathways is going to take a little bit of time and compassion because we're, it's not going to be um, like a linear progression, right? It's back and forth. And there are going to be times where you're really in flow and then you fall out of flow. And that might be just, the human way as well. Oh my gosh, so many good things in there. Firstly, apparently we do have to fall from flow in order to exercise the muscle of coming back, right? So when we start to broaden our thinking and we realize that life is happening for us, not to us, what is this curveball coming through to show me, right? So you can get excited and you can go, oh, oh. And I'll tell you, people think they've arrived and they've, you know, tucked in a certain amount of grounding and stability and, and agency or in their lives. And then um, it, because because nature seems to love this, it's like, okay, next level, you're going to get a bigger curveball than ever. So it's really, it's really, um, I invite people to consider approaching this all as a as a game it's a serious game but it's a playful it it can be a very playful um humorous experience with built in with, uh, with some levity built into it and and i and i know in my deeper meditations where i have little exchanges with the uh, subtle world that's the guidance lighten it up people we have some a lot to do and it's not really going to happen if we don't bring some levity and joy through and for compassion and forgiveness for ourselves like you say is is so key i was listening to this lecture by this i think he was the former minister of psychiatry in the country of canada and he gave this beautiful metaphorical 
description of why he thinks we're so resistant to recognizing our true nature as communal, um, you know, compassionate beings. Because I, I guess there's some sort of this inability to forgive and and move on from this place of self-loathing that so many of us identify with because we're not actually in touch with who we really are. We're believing this 180 degree different kind of um, vibration as that's who we are. And he said, um, you know, we make this excuse, well, it's just human nature that we would dominate and conquer and, um, you know, um, this whole greed and separation kind of ethos it's just our nature to survival of the fittest um, and apparently it's not a complete theory that, that I apparently discussions on that uh, were happening at the time of Darwin and somehow his theory became the predominant theory but it wasn't the only one um, and around you know the time that medicine shifted toward being very technological that that was also a trend and you think about cycles right we we shift in one direction and then we come back and we try something and then we come back so in the words of this minister of psychiatry he said we actually had to consider that we might have purposefully fallen from grace taken this bite of um knowledge uh bite out of the apple of knowledge in order to harvest this next level of very intensely linear technological um, resource and then consider that we were willing to boldly make that sacrifice and that you're possibly what we actually are as heroes and now what we need to do is kind of drop the whole self-deprecation thing and come back and integrate those advancements with this deeper feminine sensibility that's coming through as the imperative now and that it's both and love that. And the way that I see that is like moving from harsh lines, like from boxes to spirals, right? A, a literal softening of, of our being and our, um, it's, it's less linear. When I see energy, it's, it's a spiral. And what you were talking about, how, you know, we can think we're in flow and then we beat ourselves up for getting knocked out of it. But I think the way we're really learning, it's where universe is, is, kind of coming back around and say, okay, now try it this way. And how about this way? And we're, we're softening those hard edges. Yes. And each one of these big stretches and ventures into maybe treacherous territory is actually cultivating some level of, uh, chop, uh, you know, resilience in us in a certain way. Like there's a, there's, there are aspects of us that are being cultivated and grown. Um, I mean, there in a sense, and I guess I'm referring to, I read a lot of philosophy of the ancient mystics and that in a sense that, you know, there's a level of spiritual maturity that's available for having gone on this shadow journey with this current fall from grace and, and disconnection from nature that is creating a potential that didn't exist a thousand years ago when those challenges weren't present. It's just like, it's just widen the, the invitation is always to step back and widen the lens and go, why might this actually be? What, what might, may this circumstance actually be in service of? Reframe, reframe. And that 
what I'm noticing like through my podcast and guests that are rising and in my life is that each of us have a piece. There's this great, um, I believe it's a Jewish creation story about this mirror that at the moment of creation broke into, you know, millions of pieces. And we were each given a small piece of this mirror and that you have, um, you can see some truth, someone else can see some truth, but truly we have to come together. It's like a puzzle. We have to listen to one another and piece those pieces of the mirror together so that we get a larger view, a larger understanding. Absolutely. And not just a larger understanding, uh, but we, uh, we can almost, one of the ways that spiritual teachers have worked is by actually emanating some aspect of consciousness in their being. And in neuroscience, we call this modeling and maybe in, you know, we also talk about mirror neurons and we don't really pretend to understand the mechanism wholly, but there's a resonance factor to it. And so when we're, when we're learning collectively, we are all sharing some kernel of some nutrient that we alone have had maybe the ability to discern because we all see differently. We all have different sight gifts. And then when we come together, we all get to, it's like all the little pieces, just like you said, get to start a click and be, create something so much bigger. So while I'm talking, my face is getting warm. I'm remembering, I'm remembering, I just launched what is really to me a community building, um, almost like research playground of how are we going to really pull this off and what's actually going to happen despite the fact that I have this curriculum when all of these particular people get into this space together. And what I've noticed is that I'm, I've now, I think I'm teaching the fourth one tonight. I am changing. I am my, all of my learning and healing is deepening. And I thought, how, what if this entire creating of this group and this teaching career for me is all about me? It's all for me. I mean, just for a moment, I let myself indulge in that funny idea um, because it really is, I guess, anything in integrity would be as much for it's everyone. It's for everyone all the time. It's very, very been very, very powerful. It just reminded me of something a friend taught me. Uh, she said, this is for circling back to this idea of the, how confronting it is to give to yourself. She said, if you're giving from deficit, which is a distortion, it's not an alignment, it's not um, authentic, pure service energy, you're actually taking from the other person. Mm -hmm. So... Uh, it's 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 like in staying that in that moment, I realized that um, one of the probably one of the the most challenging things I've ever done, being someone who likes challenges and impossible projects, is uh, is letting that in and actually shifting that that particular dynamic in myself. I can feel this place in my body right now that's like <gasps> like I'll actually have to breathe bigger for that to become true in my tissues, like real versus just an idea. It's really big. If people think, you know, asking and receiving is just this thing we'll practice for a few weeks, it is probably 
hundreds, if not thousands of years of, of imprints in, in the body and the field making that thing wrong. So do not be self-conscious if you are terrified and are not good at it for a good long while. <laughs> And the men out there could serve us or, and themselves by being patient and helping too. Because they could say, oh, she really doesn't know how to ask this thing. She should know. That's not going to work. It's like, oh, I think I'm guessing what she wants. Let me make the offer. And, and then just see what it feels like. Because it may sound wrong, but then when this kind of thing happens, and if it's very different from the couple, from the dynamic in a couple typically, what they'll actually feel is, potentially. I've heard reported and I experienced myself like surges of delight and and like light and sparkle coming into the body like oh why does that feel so amazing when it's supposed to not be you know it's we're not supposed to do it a or enjoy doing it because it's so difficult but it liberates energy. So so I guess so back to all of this we're speaking to defines flow as medicine when you put your attention on what liberates energy, right? And opens up the body to really be less fixed and less dense and then be more um, natural in its ability to kind of be in communication with all the forces of nature that are constantly in these uh, resonance patterns. That's all there really is. When we're able to actually be with that, um, then we're healing and growing and learning and waking up really efficiently. And so I ask people to put, efficient's not really, beautifully, I ask people to put their attention on, is that happening? Is that happening? And that's your evidence of, oh, this choice that may not make sense in my head or seem scary, but it's opening my energy and my ability to log on to this larger thing. Uh, and and I, I just say, keep it that simple. Let that be your guide. Is flow happening or not? Right. And that you and flow, you're obviously affecting your, um, your partner, but you're, you're affecting the world as well. So you in flow invite, you know, it's that idea of morphogenic resonance. You in flow invite me to be in flow. And I mean, and it's even non-local, right? Like we're on Zoom right now. Um, we think, you know, initially the brain might think, oh, I have to be sitting next to someone. But no, this can happen on a Zoom call, which is pretty fantastic. Uh, it happens a lot on Zoom. It surprised a lot of people this year. They didn't expect that to be so true, even though they'd heard of the idea and then actually experiencing it. But then there's actually a lot of science happening. There's a whole huge global coherence project where they are having antennas. I think there are 10 of them or 12 of them around the world monitoring interconnection and coherence in the field of the globe and then noticing how those readings shift with different events that are happening or intentional, um, you know, huge meditation events or, I mean, there's obviously, I don't, I don't know, I would have to look closer at that research to see how that might actually work because there's so much going on. I'm very curious in this moment actually to know what they've been picking up on lately, but it's a thing. The, morphogenic resonance is a thing. So our greatest service to humanity is to tend our, um, you know, the integrity and the purity and the, um, and the um, potency and of uh, this light that we emit and the heart, the harmoniousness of it. 
Yeah. And just because you talk about flow, flow, where does, you know, we're 70% water or something like where does, where does water and hydration come into this? Oh, that is uh, my favorite topic of all, because it's quite literal. So if your chi is low, like sometimes I'll touch a patient or I'll see someone or anyone who really is perceptive to subtly will go, oh, they're a dull light bulb right now. The opposite of being in love. When you're in love, all this, you know, um, vitality comes through and people's cheeks will even get pink and a good night's sleep will do this. So there's very literal life force that happens that creates that effect well water conducts electricity so you really do need to tend to your hydration in a sense just like you would put water in the cells of the battery in your car and then there's water and there's water because there's water that's been infused with life like in in rivers and um, raindrops and um, maybe people don't understand if lightning hits, for instance, a lake, that water holds so much more charge. Water is so unique in its ability to store energy. However, if we drink water that is not coherent and full of energy, basically, it might not even be absorbed into our cells. So I really coach people. Water and, and, and life force are kind of partners they require one another. It's one thing. Um, and so people can just pay attention to the quality of their water. Filtering is, is important, but energizing it is really important. So I put mine in the sun. Um, there are a ton of devices that are, the water just spins through that creates coherence in it. And I have a few that I like that I, I, I use in my office because once I work with people and we do this kind of reboot on their nervous system, which allows them, so the nervous system and the subtle body reflect one another. So if you're energetic, if your subtle body is incoherent or scrambled versus coherent, your nervous system will reflect that as anxiety or heart racing or um, cortisol elevations this is not rocket science we all understand this and then when the body shifts back into coherence the nervous system drops it's all one thing that particular state is like you've been rebooted to this lovely new idol if you're tuning an engine right and that is a very efficient state for intracellular absorption so i have this water in my office and I have people hang out and actually hydrate. Even though the science says we can absorb about four ounces of water an hour on the level of the tissues, I find that not to be true. Because when it, not to be true under the circumstances of flow and coherence, it's different. And we know that because people don't end up having to go to the bathroom, right? They just go into this really heightened uh, expansion, inflation. I have picture the cells kind of plumping back up. I use the analogy of, oh, well, people walk in and they feel to me like, like the way a sponge feels all kind of compressed on the side of the sink after, you know, it was, and then you submerge it and it, and it, and it just reinflates. So in that reinflated, hydrated state, it's very much more natural to be in flow and more resilient in every way, shape, or form. And hydration in that expanded fluid state is as much about, it's probably more about conscious uh, consciousness and 
uh, electromagnetics than it is about water, although, like I said, I'd have a hard time separating the two. I love that. It's so um, fundamental to life, and yet, for granted, we may not really... Uh, we may not really fully comprehend the the importance of it. You know, I see. For me, I also believe that early morning light and evening light are the same kind of thing, like really nourishing um, and energizing for the the cells of the body. Huge. I agree with you completely. There's so much science on all this. When I have people say. Uh, because we don't actually apply science to modern life. If we did, we would see how not not co congruent <laughs> most of our beliefs and values and behaviors are. Um, so it is curious. I'm like, huh, I, there, I guess the mind, I guess the sight, I, I know the mechanism of how the sight and imagination may be small under conditions of duress and mental excess mental activity and it's literal, right? So like, for instance, when a person's having a panic attack, one of the features of the, the panic state, anxiety state is tunnel vision. The, the vision literally becomes this narrow tube. And then as we begin to practice coming into coherence and hydrating our system, and for some people, they use psychedelics. I'm not a huge user of those things. I, although, um, it's again like the, uh, an area where there's a very intense medicinal purpose and there a lot of discernment is needed. And I don't really have, I, I just caution people to be really careful because um, discernment's not a big feature of our typical way, right? So to really go to reliable sources for holding and guidance on those journeys. And that is a direction in medicine right now, in particular, to try to do this opening of this narrow lens. So the being, right, there are places where the, the medicine journey can really clean the system out enough to start to resonate to where you can start to feel what's more true for yourself, um, well, for all of us. Yeah. Yeah, my first book was called Expanding Vision, and I think that that's what we're, that's what we're on the journey to do, right, to soften, to expand, to um, to kind of take in the beauty and the the miracle and the uh, the grace really that's, that's all around us and freely available. I agree. Oh my gosh. I have the best. I've been stuck on this roomy poem. It might be a good kind of wind down. My favorite metaphor for flow as medicine and our, um, cultural perception of not understanding what that is and being so, uh, you know, struggling with the illusion of separation and uh, deficit is that we're like pearls inside the oyster at the bottom of the ocean, wondering where all the water is. Right <laughs> it there. is right there, just like you said. And um, oh, I, I do want to say there is a book my mentor, Bonnie Gintis D.O., wrote, a, it's called Engaging with the Movement of Life. I really love it as a foundation to even a lot of the science I referenced and sort of the biology of flow. She's done a beautiful job putting that together. It's not a new book, but I use it as the textbook in the classes that I teach, um, which is now all I'm going to be doing is teaching 
I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to probably go into my office every once in a while, but, and I'm really, really strongly guided to do this. Like the more energy I put in the direction of sharing my, my wisdom and my, the medicine, right? The consciousness that I've cultivated is a thing that comes through when I speak or share or hold space with others that the more I do it as terrifying as it actually is in a, on a certain level, the more energy I have. I'm, I've actually literally needed less sleep now for weeks and I have a lot more like, oh, I need to actually go out and just spend a whole afternoon being with my friends and doing nothing or goofing on the beach. Like there's a whole place inside me that's opening to that in a really organic way that's just positively delightful. So I have all these this evidence that I'm on the right track. I'm so happy for you. I'm so happy for all the the lives you're going to touch. I just wonder if um, anyone listening who would love to perhaps work with you or um, join one of your upcoming courses, what where can they find out more about you? That's a really good question. One thing is I have a free study group on Facebook. We're going to move from there, but it's called the Flow Practice Study Group. And that group has everything in it. And it's a communal location. It has where to find information on my classes. But at the moment, they're on my website, michellevenetzianodio.net courses. And we're moving to flowismedicine.com. So that's going to be easier. That's literally in a week we're moving to flowismedicine.com, I think. Someone else is in charge of all that, <laughs> actually, which is amazing because I'm letting them do that. It sounds like just you're asking for help. <laughs> exactly. There's no other way to do it. It wouldn't have happened if I wouldn't have allowed for that. And if you... Yeah. If you try to do it all yourself, your teaching wouldn't be as energized and as juicy and as flow-like, right? Or as vulnerable. Yeah. Think about it. I got to like, <laughs> totally, totally. And it's almost like um, I didn't actually say I need help. I somehow let my guard down in the ethers and then she showed up. Mm -hmm. I, I did say I needed help, but um, I was questioning as to my whether I was like, oh, I must have missed a little pebble of resistance because I'm asking and and it's I'm not getting, you know, for a year I've been interviewing people. And then maybe I just I just went ahead and launched the class anyway. I can't not do it. And then three days, two days before the actual start date, she showed up. My person. And then a bunch of other people are stepping up now, too, because it, it flow has momentum, right? It starts as a little trickle and then it builds and and it has a, yeah, it has its a life of its own. Thank goodness, because we can't do all this work. <laughs> I want to really say thank you. It's been such a pleasure talking to you. It, you feel like a kindred spirit to me. And I'm really grateful to know that you are in the world and doing the work that you're doing. Absolutely. Ditto on all of that. Ever since the moment we first connected, I feel um, just really grateful for your presence and the quality of it and your holding and um, and the, uh, just the way you ask questions and, and you're listening and also that you're in the world doing what you're doing. And I'm, I'm going to go back and listen to all your episodes. Yeah. And that you live where my where I went to did oh, my, right. my practice residency, which is a town I'm absolutely in love with, 
and and planning to come back to. I do every couple of years. So we'll, we'll hopefully hopefully we'll meet in person eventually. Thank you so much. Thank you.